to the Welcome to the March 20th OA Rise Speaker Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Jan, I'm a compulsive overeater and your host for this meeting. OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspires Shared Experiences, and we are glad that you are all here. As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, whoop, on occasion, there are glitches like that one in online meetings that cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best, so we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we would be happy to hear from you if you would like to provide us with kind and constructive feedback. Thank you for your support. With all those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. So as we, unity, unity with diversity policy, as we enter, as we enter, as we extend the heart and hand of the OA fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Can I please have Abby read the preamble? Oh, I have to unmute you, hang on, or somebody has to unmute you. <laughs> Where did you go, Abby? All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Abby. I'm a covered compulsive overeater in Michigan. OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thank you. About this meeting. This is a speaker meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. The meeting is being recorded so, so that an audio only recording can be posted in the oarise.org website. Should there be, there's going to be probably a QA in this meeting, and you will have questions for the speakers, but do not want your voice. Okay. If there is a QA in this meeting, which there is, and you have a question for the speaker or speakers, but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read your question for you. Here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat feature is currently turned off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Please note that speakers are only listed as co-hosts so that they have ease of access to the Zoom features. 
They will not be able to respond to questions in the chat. So if you have any questions or concerns during the meeting, please communicate with the OA Rise host or co-hosts only. You can change your name as it appears on Zoom. To do this, you click on the participants tab at the bottom of your screen, or mine is at the top, and a list of attendees will open up in a window pane. Select your own name, click on the tab that says more, and then choose rename. If you are willing, please add your geographical location after your name so that we can see where everyone is from. People from all over the countries and world come to our meeting. Out of courtesy to the other attendees and the speakers, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone or talk to somebody who's in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we'll be happy to turn it back on when you are ready. Just send a message in chat to any co-host and they will enable your video again. Please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. We will take a five minute break at the end of the first and second hours. And finally, remember, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Could I please have Heidi read the 12 steps of a Anonymous? Thank you, Heidi, compulsive eater. Uh, 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. And can I please have Melissa read the 12 traditions? Okay. Hi, I'm Melissa, compulsive overeater. Happy to be here. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise 
less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these, all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Where did my document go? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, people. This is just a nightmare because my computer stopped working today. There we go. Okay. According to the seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org. Or you can visit our website at oarise.org and click the Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 will allow the OARise speaker meetings to continue. So, speakers, it is now my great pleasure to introduce our speakers for today. We have Amy, we have Jen, and we have Lewis. I'm not sure which order they're going to go in. Um, it may be helpful to have your OA 12 and 12 and your big book candy, if you wish. Um, so take it away, Amy or whoever's going first. Sure, I'll, I'll just get a quick introduction. Uh, my name's Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Maryland. And what an honor and a privilege to be here. We are so excited to let higher power work through us today. The topic is this three C's of the 12 step, um, the culmination, the call and the challenge. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps, we continue to carry the message and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And um, so the three of us here, I, I, just, I grabbed Jen A and Lewis are to just come along with me and take each section of this step and elaborated on it as they will. Greatly recovered, committed to this program and dedicated to service. I couldn't be more honored to be working with another two people. And so with that, we're gonna start out with the first section. The culmination will be Jen A from Colorado. So take it away, Jen A, so happy, thank you. Uh, thank you, Amy. Thanks, Jan, so much. Thanks for Sherry getting us all set up at the beginning and for all of you at OA Rise who are doing service today. 
Um, grateful to be in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. Never thought I would ever say that, but I am. <laughs> and grateful to be here um, with OA Rise. Um, welcome to anybody who's new. Yes, we are on step, step 12. So if you are here today, jot your notes down and hold on. I have to unpin myself because I cannot look at myself the entire time. That's too, too much. Okay. Sorry. They spotlight you and I don't need to look at myself. In fact, I'm mere phobic or I used to be. Um, so anyways, my name is Jen A and I am recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I live in Littleton, Colorado. Um, I first walked into the rooms in Overeaters Anonymous in 2016. Um, I was not the heaviest girl in the room. In fact, I was the thinnest girl in the room. So don't let size fool you in this program because we all have different ways and our disease manifests differently. But I know the one thing that I do have is I have the allergy of the body. I have a twist in my mind and I had a hole deep down in my soul and God resides in that, in that space, in that place. And, um, in order to find God, I needed to do these 12 steps. Um, uh, I live today in a healthy body weight. Um, I live in steps one through 12. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. And like Amy so beautifully says, I dedicate, um, I dedicate every day to living the 12 steps and this way of life because it has saved a girl like me. Um, you know, we're talking about step 12 today and I, and I'll just briefly qualify and tell you guys, I did everything that everybody else on the screen did. I don't want to get down into the, um, deep, dark past. Um, but I ate like you all ate. I, um, you know, stuck myself with needles. I drank potions. I popped pills. I had multiple gym memberships. Um, anorexic, bulimic, exercise, bulimic. I've done it all. Um, I'm still surprised today if there's something that a sponsee or someone else says that they've done that I haven't, but then I'm not bummed that I missed out on it. So um, I'm just grateful uh, that as a result of these steps, um, the obsession has been lifted. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is the culmination. Um, the culmination is the first part of step 12. It's broken down into three parts. Um, it says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. So, you know, what is this culmination, right? A culmination is, is the high point. It's, um, you know, the splendid place that we quote unquote, all want to get to. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I walked in the rooms of overeaters to not anonymous, I just, I didn't want to go back to the way I was. I didn't want to go back to the overweight 220 pound girl that I was, you know, I came in dripping, uh, dripping wet, anorexic thin at 120 pounds. And, um, I didn't know that a spiritual awakening was what I was signing up for at overeaters anonymous. Um, but, um, we're here today to talk about that spiritual awakening. And it is, uh, just, it's really cool because this week I've had the opportunity to do uh, three different inventories with three different fellows in this program. And that spiritual awakening has been really vibrant in my life. So I think God does that um, when he knows that you're going to be sharing your experience. He wants to keep it for me right here in the front of my brain, not behind me. Um, so that high point, that culmination, that aha moment, people always think da, 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 I have arrived, right? Like I'm on step 12, I'm working with others, you know, I'm carrying this message. And what I really want to start off this talk with is, is this, is this quote that I wrote down why it may be a culmination. It isn't a destination. It is, it isn't a place to stop. It isn't a place to rest. It is the beginning of a spiritual way of life. 
Um, I don't know about most of you, but um, I, I wasn't very um, spiritual when I came in. In fact, I was anti-religious at that point. Um, I had served in ministry. I had been a part of the church. I had ran Bible studies and, uh, you know, VBS. I had read every book of the Bible and studied every book of the Bible. Um, but I, I, I didn't believe that God could or would stop my compulsive overeating. Um, so I came in, you know, not with no belief and, um, you know, you have to go from a rock bottom place at the bottom of the barrel in order to get to the top. Right. And that's what we're talking about. This culmination, this high point you're traveling and you start off at a starting point and you get to a certain place. But again, remember it's, it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a, once I get there, I'm done. It's a, I get to keep doing this over and over again. So think of kind of like the steps as an escalator. Okay. Like you go up the steps and you get to the top and I don't know about you, but I'm a hiker. So I like 14 ers and you get to the top and you're like, yay, I peaked. I've made it. I've arrived. But remember the escalator is like, remember how the stairs, if you were to like cut off the side of the escalator, the stairs rotate back down so it can pick up the next set of people or so that you can go through again. That's how I kind of look at the step work for myself is kind of like an escalator. It's always revolving, always going through. I'm always running inventory. I'm always going back to step one, seeing my powerless, the need for something bigger than myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and going through the steps. So I had to have that rock bottom place in order to become desperate and willing to do this work. And, you know, every year I call my sponsor or multiple times, sometimes during the year, depending on just like where I'm at it in, in the moment. And I say, thank you so much for working with a girl like me. Like, why? And he says to me, well, you, you were desperate. And I was like, oh, I was, he was like, oh yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> so I look for that same desperation in others. Um, but in Bill's story on page eight, he talks about um, that rock bottom place. He talks about the loneliness, the despair, the hopelessness, the loss of all confidence. You know, he talks about sitting in that bitter morass of self-pity where he was uh, in quicksand, right? And remember what quicksand does. It traps us. We get confused and overwhelmed. We wiggle and jiggle. We go down even further. Like we cannot get out. And it stretched around him in all directions. And so I don't know what everybody else's rock bottom or, 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 you know, point was, all I can do is share my own experience, but, um, I remember it like it's yesterday. Um, so about four and a half years ago, it's, it's, um, it'll be, it'll be five this April. Um, so next month, um, you know, I was, I was doing what I thought I needed to do in Overeaters Anonymous. I was going to meetings. I was accepting coins. I even had a lady who was guiding me. Um, you know, I, I dabbled in all sorts of literature, the 12 and 12, the OA 12 and 12. I had a big book. I kind of used it. It kind of sat on my nightstand. Um, and I kept going to meetings. Um, but you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't working the steps with honesty, with an open mind, and I wasn't willing to take the um, the required action that was in the 12 steps um, of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous because I didn't really know it existed. I kind of just went to meetings. And, um, you know, eventually the guy that I was dating um, broke up with me. And that was like the end of the world. I don't know if you guys have been in that place. You lose a job, someone's broken up with you, like, 
um, you know, it was just, it was it for me. And I can't say that that's the day that I picked up. It wasn't, it was a week later, two weeks later, a month later. I don't even remember. Like there's, that's why this mental blank spot is so big for me because in my mind, I don't even remember making a conscious decision to say, oh, here I come 7-Eleven. Like I'm going to seek this ease and comfort from whatever's inside your building. No, it just happened. My car drove into the 7-Eleven. I went inside. I loaded my, you know, my bag with, with, uh, my binge substances. I went back out in the car and I started to eat them. And I left the fir first parking lot with wrappers in the front seat. And I'd like to say it stopped then, but then I went to the second one and then to the third one. And what is it about the convenience stores? I don't know. Cause we conveniently sneak in and we conveniently sneak out. And then we had to keep sneaking to more and more. And then, you know, you would think three, maybe I would be done, but oh no, you know, after I got my hair done, I sat in the hairdresser's chair. She's one of my best friends. I had the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on my lap. And it was like, she was talking to me and it was like, you know, the teacher, like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. And I couldn't hear a thing she was saying. And I was like, thank you. And I handed her the big book, gave her a hug and walked out the door. And where do you think I went? Hmm. Had to do another one, two, three to the convenience store. But the last uh, one I went to was not a convenience store. It was my favorite place, Trader Joe's. Cause I could get kind of healthy, non or um, alcoholic free um, foods in there. Well, at least I thought they were alcoholic free. They still were ingredients that triggered me. And then I remember being, it was like nighttime and I was in the back alleyway and um, it was really dark. And I'd like to say that um, my best surrenders and my best places of, um, you know, hitting rock bottom, um, not just this first time with the food, but throughout life are in back alleyways. Um, broken down vehicles on the side of the road and bathroom stalls in Panera Bakery. <laughs> and um, only my sponsor would understand that because that's where we met every Saturday, but I bawled my eyes out in the bathroom many, many a time um, surrendering over to, to this power. And so I sat in that, um, in that, in that car and um, I had a toothbrush in one hand, vomit out the side of the door and the bakery bags and boxes were next to me from, you know, just the damage I had just done. And, you know, I remember I didn't have friends. I didn't have people I could call. I didn't have anybody except for, I remember the, the man who sat across from me in the room. And um, the very first time I heard him, he read these night step promises. And it was 11 months later from the day that I heard them. And I just said, I can't keep doing this anymore. I can't have this way of life anymore. Um, something's gotta change. And so I picked up the phone and called out of desperation, you know, and it was just me and the light that shone down through the front windshield, call it God, call it whatever you want. I swear he was there. And, um, I called and, um, you know, I asked that person, what do I do? Get to a meeting. That person sponsored me every Saturday, um, at Panera bakery. We sat across from each other. Um, we did this work as it's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and so that's what happened. You know, I, I, I came to that, to that place, but I, I had hope because I heard that man and he shared those promises with me and hope to me stands for hold on pain ends. The pain will end, right? The pain of overeating, the pain of suffering in relationships, the financial pain, you know, all of that is good. Can it ever come to an end? Well, I'm going to here to tell you it's not totally over with, cause I'm not dead, but I have a different way of dealing with it today. So what did I do? I began to work the steps. And as I worked the steps and we read them as we were going through today, you know, one, I, I admitted, 
I admitted that I'm powerless, that my life's unmanageable. And then I came to believe that there was something bigger that was going to restore me to sanity. That's step two. And then I actually had to make a decision, right? In that back alleyway, one and two, I'm done, right? I'm, I'm, I'm golden. And then sitting in uh, meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous at 630 in the morning for 120 days straight, they had this prayer on the wall and it was the third step prayer. And I'll never forget that every day I would grip the steering wheel with the radio off and I would pray out of desperation. I'm just making a decision to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to you, whatever you are out there, because I don't ever want to be that girl in that parking lot, shoving the toothbrush down my throat again and throwing up like that and eating like that. Like I can't do it anymore. You know, not to mention all the, the problems I was having in my life, all the bedevilments that were catching up with me. Um, And so I, I embarked on the journey. I made the searching and fearless moral inventory. You know, I gave it away. Um, I kept giving that inventory away. Um, And, you know, I, I worked these steps and, and, and I will begin to tell you that the promises don't just happen at nine, 10 and 11. Like I heard that day in that room, the promises happen as we go through the steps. And you give away your fifth step, right? And you give away your inventory and what happens? You're like, you're lighter, you're freer because you're no longer keeping secrets. You're no longer hiding things. So the spiritual awakening, it started to happen to me and I didn't even know it was happening. See, I don't think we're even aware that it's happening. We begin, other other people begin to see it in us. Perhaps the man who sponsored me across the table, he would smile at me, you know, when I would cry and just be broken down, he would still smile at me because he knew God was working in me and through me. That's what this 12-step program does. It, I get to uncover, discover, and discard all the things about myself that are blocking me from what? God, because he's, you know, it's deep down in every single man, woman, and child. That's what it says in the big book. Um, so, you know, what is this spiritual experience? Like I'm starting to have it at step five, but I don't know it. And I'm not claiming that I have a spiritual experience because I don't even freaking have a clue what it is. And then I keep going in seven and eight. Right. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping these rocks left and right. And God is doing for me the things I could have never done. Like he's setting me free and taking away these spiritual maladies, which I'm just going to say the spiritual malady. Those are the characteristics in me. And I have what? I have overused them, underused them, misused them, or not used them at all. And so they become wonky and I become a wonky girl. And so, you know, it's just, it's crazy for me because it's like, oh, God wants to right size me. He wants to like take me to this place where I'm no longer running the show. Remember in the third step, I'm no longer trying to arrange life to suit myself. Instead, I'm being a part of life. And I get to start seeing that because, you know, I'll never forget like the first part of the spiritual awakening for me as a result of um, the inventory process was gossip. And I was a gossip guru at work and I would get into everything and gossip. And I remember that was one of my defects of character and I did the inventory on it. And then I went back and I was like, okay, I'm going to try my hardest not to gossip. Good luck doesn't work. And I go back to gossiping again and I do the inventory again. And then it's like, okay, why don't you pray the prayer? And my sponsor used to say to me, you know what, when you pray, ask God, ask God, 
give me, show me, right? Use those words because God wants you to have the desires of your heart. And I was like, please, God, remove this defective character of gossip and allow me to just be kind, loving, you know, like live with integrity, honest, admirable in the workplace. And the gossiping began to slip away and I was no longer engaging in it. That's part of a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, right? It's happening to me. I didn't do it. I took the action. I prayed the prayers. I do the inventory. I do the work. And then God takes it away. He removes it from me. Um, and, and I, and I love to, um, in this spiritual experience, um, not only are we talking about, you know, what is it, um, the spiritual experience, they actually put a whole um, appendix in the back of your big book. Okay. So let's talk about that. The spiritual experience has this component. It's happening throughout the big book, right? You're, you're seeing bits and pieces of the light start to come to fruition. It's like, you know, when the clouds part after like a storm and you start to see the light come through. And have you ever seen those streams of light? They come down like rays. I call those God rays. Um, and that's, that's like the light that starts to trickle in. And yet I haven't had a spiritual waking as the result of the steps it's going on through the steps, but it, it'll, it'll culminate. And here's what happens. So in the spiritual experience on page 576 in the back of my big book, um, you know, they added this, it wasn't originally in the first printing in 1939, it was added in 1941, um, the second printing. And, and here's what, how important the spiritual experience is to read. And I know that we gloss over it. So I always tell my sponsees and, and odd, but you know, not odd, but God this week, I've been reading with my sponsee and I'm like, wait, wait, she's been reading to me. And I'm like, wait, we missed the asterisk. We missed the asterisk twice already. I'm like, we have to go back. We cannot miss the asterisk. See, it's a good reminder for this. Um, the asterisk takes us back to the appendix. It's seen twice and there is a solution. So it's on page 25 and 27. And then it's also a third time in We Agnostics. And I have my sponsees go back and read it three times because I didn't get it the first time I read it, right? I'm looking at this uh, term spiritual experience and it tells me. So if you want to flip to page 567, you can. It says the terms spiritual experience, and they use another term called spiritual awakening, are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that a personality change sufficient to bring about the recovery from alcoholism or compulsive overeating has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Now, we look at it and they changed it, right? Personal experience, personal awakening to bill. It was this big white light. Like all of a sudden bada boom, bada bing. I'm here to tell you, I don't have a fairy godmother and program. There are no magic waving wands. You can't bibbity bobbity boomy. That's not it. Um, the spiritual awakening happens over time. Um, one of my favorite teachers in, um, the 12 steps room, he says, it's like a dimmer switch. It's gradual. It clicks on and on. So remember, let's go back to the spiritual awakening. I'm starting to have after doing these inventories and I'm starting to see, I go from gossip girl to, you know, like good, uh, goody, goody two shoes. That's what I call myself now. Cause I don't get involved in it to the best of my human ability. Right. <laughs> but it happens over time. So what is it that's happening to me as a result of doing this work and taking it to a, a higher power to remove it? And so that I'm not doing it anymore, or I'm, you know, I'm not engaging it anymore. Um, it's a personality change. 
So it says, um, yet it is true at our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to have this big religious conversion or whatever. I mean, at least that hasn't been my experience. It's happening to me every day. Every time I do inventory, every week, every month, I'm having these spiritual experiences and I'm awakened more that God is in me, that God is doing for me, that God is making these things possible um, in my life. Um, and it says, you know, um, these changes um, in the first few chapters, the number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such, such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at one, once by a vast change of feeling and outlook. And so like, I'm, I'm kind of one of those girls who does a lot of word searching and Googling. Um, it just helps me to understand the archaic language sometimes or all the words that Bill used when he wrote the um, big book in the 12 and 12. And for me, like the spiritual awakening is now I'm able um, to do or feel or believe. Maybe that's what you've heard. Or maybe I can think, feel, or behave. Or like he says on page 27 of the big book, he says, your ideas and your emotions and your attitudes are going to be displaced. They're going to be rearranged. And so by doing this work, that's what happens. There's a shift. There's a change. I'm new. I'm different. So like in that inventory that I talked about, um, about, you know, with um, the gossiping, there was a shift, there was a change. And I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to do inventory, but like I said, three times in the last two weeks, God's used this. And I've been doing inventory, three different people. So I know it's God. It's not just a person, a sponsor. I want to make that really clear. It's three different persons that I'm taking my inventory to, I'm confessing, right? I'm, I'm sharing it with another person and this God consciousness flows in through me. Sometimes it's the, the things that other people are saying to me on the other side of the phone or the screen or in person, if I'm in person, but something shifts and something changes in me. Right. And, and I no longer, I'm like, Oh, I see why that's not working for me. And now God, how would you have me be today? And I'm able to see this because I'm more aware, right? I've been given this gift. And that's where I love how the 12 and 12 comes in. So if you're not familiar with the AA 12 and 12, um, it's a great tool to use in conjunction with the big book. The big book was written at a certain time. And then Bill has this experience and he's, you know, working the 12 steps and living the 12 steps. And he thinks I got to publish something else. That's going to kind of be like a little bit more, a little more info than from when he first um, put pen to paper. And um, he talks about it in here um, where uh, he says, when a man, it's on page number 106, I'll tell you where I'm in the, in the AA 12 and 12. He says, when a man or a woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do or feel or believe, which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. Remember, I'm powerless. My life's unmanageable. I need something else to restore me to sanity. So I'm turning it over to God. I inventory it. And then he gives me the strength to see what? to see where I'm out, to see, 
to see this thing. And then as a result of doing this step work over and over again, year after year, inventory after inventory, you know, I begin to become more aware and more enlightened. Um, not that I'm holy or better than it's just, I begin to see where I'm wrong, where I'm, I'm not standing in alignment where my values have kind of maybe gone down the toilet a little, or, or my thinking even has gone down the toilet a little, because my mind will tell me a story. I'll listen to it and I'll believe it. That's a, that's an ongoing everyday process. So, um, I have to have his strength and resources because mine left to my own devices. The big book tells me it's not going to work just like the dieting. Remember when you used to do the dieting left your own resources, walking in, weighing in, getting your little diet plan for the week. Or how about me? My fitness plan from the gym. It's like, yeah, okay. Left to my own devices. That didn't work for me. I needed something bigger than that. I needed a power greater than myself. It says he has then been granted a gift, which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. So this gift that you're given, I call it the gift of neutrality. That's how it was explained to me. I'm neutral around food, exercise, behaviors, food and food ingredients. I'm, I'm neutral to all of it. Like I got crap sitting in my, in, you know, in my freezer, I got Oreos, I got chips. I've got everything that's not abs an abstinent food for me sits in my house. How can I be neutral around it? As a result of doing these steps, I've been granted the gift. It's a new state of consciousness and being, I am no longer craving and wanting the food. You know what I'm craving today? I'm craving a right relationship with my creator. And that might sound crazy to somebody who's new. And if you're in the steps, just hang on there. Just pray, be honest, open and willing every single day, because I didn't, I didn't get that right away. It happened over a period of time. Like I said, it's an awakening. It's a slow process that more and more, I'm more conscious of my creator. I'm more conscious of God and how God wants me to be and who I'm supposed to be in this life. And then it says he has been then set on a path, which tells him he is really going somewhere. That life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. Remember, we said it's not a destination. Remember at the beginning, it's not a destination. <coughs> I'm not going to master this program. And when I think I have, get yourself off the, you know, the top of the pedestal because you're not that great. You're not God, right? I have not mastered anything. And that's why I love working with others, which we're going to talk about in this step too, because my sponsees or the people that I talk to on the phone are always a mirror to me. Like someone will call me and I'll be like, oh yeah, me too. And then I get to dig a little bit deeper and say, yep, I can, I'm struggling. Oh yeah, I'm struggling with that too. And then maybe a couple of days later, I'm writing inventory because I'm like, oh, thanks to that person who made me a little bit more aware. Um, and then it says in a very real sense, I have been transformed because I have laid hold of a source of strength, which in one way or another, I had to hear to deny himself. I find myself in possession of a degree of what? Honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love, which I had thought I was quite incapable of being. Do you remember when uh, you started at the beginning, or maybe if you're new and you're living in that space, being dishonest, being dishonest, not having any toleration and hateful towards others, not giving a crap about what anybody else needs, just taking care of yourself. 
your head's running like a crazy train. Like my, the song playing in my uh, head was Ozzy Osbourne on that crazy train, you know, and he keeps singing this and it's going, I, 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 and it's reverberating in my head. Or like I would be running at three o'clock, oh, dark hundred on the track, have only eaten 500 calories the night before. And I'd be listening to my like little, you know, I call it a Walkman, even though that's not what it's called today. That tells you how old I am. I'm listening to my little Walkman and the song in there is like, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of hectic. It's getting, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like, I got the power. And I'm like, I don't got no power and my life is out of control, right? So I remember being in that place. And today, like, I'm not in that place. I'm not crazy. Yeah, I can still be selfish. Yeah, I can still be dishonorous. And yeah, I can still be hateful and angry. I was last week. Ask the person I did inventory with. They'll tell you I was pissed off and angry. You know, I had a resentment. It was building. You people weren't doing things the way I wanted you to do them. And so I was frustrated. But I get on the other side, right? Because the spirit of God, of higher power, the universe, whatever it is, the love and light it just comes into my life and into my being when I'm real, when I'm ready to work at it and look at it. Um, so what it says is that we've received a free get, gift. And yet usually, at least in some small, small part, I have been made ready to receive it. So I have to be able to receive it. You know, you can want something new to come into your life. And you can hope and you can wish for it all you want. I sat in that seat of membership in OA and I prayed this prayer and maybe you prayed it too. I wish I may, I wish I might not have one more stinking bite. And then I went back out to my car and I drove home and I ate again. That's what I did in sitting in the meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. Or I eventually took action and picked up the phone and called someone out of desperation and said, I can't do it anymore. Please help me. And would you guide me through these 12 steps when you're ready to receive it and you're ready to clean out all of the yucky and the ucky and the goo, right? Drop the food, get rid of the food, lay aside the fears, the resentments, do all that inventory. Then deep down inside of you, the spirit of God, which lies inside of you, me, everybody, that's what the big book says, has the chance to come out and illuminate. Sorry, that's pretty deep. And that's in We Agnostics, page 55. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea that God is, God exists, but he's blocked, right? We block him out. I blocked him out. Food, exercise, pills, potions, restricting, binging. I did it all. But when you're ready to give that up, how free do you want to be? That's what people would say. I wanted to be free. Not to mention, I mean, look at all the great things that come along. You know, this personality change, it has, it's an entire psychic change. I was freaking psychotic when I came in here. It talks about it in the big book. It talks about the five classifications of alcoholics in, you know, that precedes the, even the first chapter of this book. I was a psychopath. I was mentally and emotionally unstable. I stood over my children. I belittled them. I berated them. I treated people like crap. I ran you over with a Mack truck and I backed up over you to make sure that you were down. That is not the girl I am today. Today, I pray that I can be love and light to people. 
you know, I pray that I can be useful and helpful. And um, I'm so glad that he gives me this profound alteration. That's what he calls the spiritual experience, the awakening. And that now what's come into me, a new state of consciousness. It's a God consciousness, right? I'm no longer dependent upon myself. I am dependent upon what? God, higher power, the spirit of the universe. I'm not God. And you know how it has to happen? I got to stop playing God. And that doesn't mean that I don't start playing God every once in a while. You ask, ask my sponsees when I'm like, well, I think you need to do this. I mean, I suggest that you maybe should do this, right? And I have to catch myself all the time. Am I making a suggestion or am I telling people what to do? Um, Same with my kids. I can think I need to tell them what to do. I can tell my boyfriend what he needs to do. I can tell anybody what they need to do, but it's not going to serve me well. So um, I think that that's just the beauty of it, that, you know, you can come into this program and you can go to meetings. I did it. And you can read, you know, the 12 by 12, the big book, whatever it is, whatever literature you want to read. And you can claim to pray and meditate. That's what I was claiming to do. Um, And I can continue to pick up the coins. I got a whole jar full of them in my bedroom. Um, But until you're, you're ready to do what, to stop, just to give up, um, to be honest, to be open-minded and to be willing, um, to do the program. That's when the spirit can come in. And, you know, I always used to say, um, when I first came in my program, my program, my program, my program, my program, my program. And I remember there was this guy, he was from Philly and he's like, so how's your program working for you? And he's like, have, you know, have you had this, this sense of peace of God consciousness flow through you and in you? He's like, how do you know? And, and there was this man who, um, I, I, I was gifted with two very, um, amazing men in my life who sponsored me face to face. And we did it as a group of three, sometimes at Panera bread. And, um, my sponsor would listen to the other man and sponsor me so that you could hear just and watch and see and bear witness to what was happening in this kind of like triangular formation. That's kind of how I looked at it. Cause it was them two in the seat. And then there was me. Right. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I remember coming in and doing inventory this one's time. And I would say like, um, you know, I'm a single mom and I don't have the funds. My son needs $150 to go to this DECA tournament. Cause he's a really smart kid. And I wanted to see him be able to go, but I didn't have $150. And, uh, you know, we did the inventory around it and, you know, we, we all three of us sat there and looked at, and then the next week I came back and I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah. So we'd always check in like, how's your week? How's your week going? You know, what came up this week? Do you have any inventory to run? Excuse me. And uh, I'd be like, yeah, but yeah, but I got to tell you what happened last week. You know, I went to do this um, photo shoot because I used to be a professional photographer. So on the side, I would go to these little photo shoots and I went to this photo shoot and, um, you know, um, the man paid me for the family sitting or whatever. And okay, that's great. I was expect, I was expecting that, right. That sitting fee and that, that bill to be paid. But, um, he asked me a few minutes after I'm about to walk out the door, he said, Hey, Jennifer, do you do business headshots? And I was like, Oh yeah, I do them. I was like, we can schedule a time to do it. And he's like, well, you're already here at my house. I was at his big, like mansion home. And he's like, do we, can we do it? If I just go and change shirts, can you do a headshot for me now? He goes, how much does that cost? I go, it costs $150. Great. Can I Venmo you right now? He said, yes, sir. I took his picture and I went back to work. Remember, I went back to my sponsors that, that, that week. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, 150 bucks. And he goes, yeah. 
God either is or he isn't. Like God's going to bless you or God's going to block it, right? And that's when I began. Again, more spiritual awakenings, more spiritual experiences happening in my life. And my kid got to go to DECA. And he said, you watch for those BFDs. And I said, what? He goes, you watch for those big fucking deals. That's where you're going to see God. And you know what I started to do? Cause you know, being sponsored by men, they're not really frilly and pretty and all that good stuff. But I started to take these little tabs and I would put them on the side and maybe you guys have them like there are these little colored tabs and I would put them on my journal where I would do like inventory and stuff. And I would put them on those BFDs. And then the, the, the side of my notebook started to light up like a rainbow, you know, it was beautiful. And I could begin to see the spiritual, what the awakening that was happening in my life, those big deals were happening to me. And it wasn't that God just gave me what I needed or what I wanted, but that I had peace and serenity. Why? Cause I could pay a bill that I didn't have to worry. Or how about when my son comes home and, you know, he's acting all funny and all weird. And his dad calls me and says, I found him smoking marijuana outside of my window last night. And you have to do what? You have to get on your knees as a recovered woman. And I said to my ex-husband at the time who I'd been divorced from, from for seven years, I said, can you just give me time to pray and meditate about this? Cause I don't know what to do. Pause when agitated or doubtful. And I came home and he goes, yeah, you can have all the prayer meditation you want. Just call me in a couple hours. He thought I was cuckoo. And uh, so I went home and I prayed and meditated. And then afterwards I got on my knees and I wrote down all the things that were just in my head that I had felt like the spirit was telling me. And I wrote them all down. Like, what were we going to do with my kid? And I went back and I sat in my car and I called him and I said, Hey, thanks for giving me the time um, to do the work. And he's like, yeah, whatever you need. Ha ha ha. You know? And I'll just tell you, we, we got along. Okay. At the time, not great. Um, and he said, um, I said, so do you want to discuss like how we're going to handle this? And he goes, yeah, let's discuss how we're going to handle it. And I go, okay, why don't you go first? He goes, no, 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 you go first. What? You're letting me go first. Like I'm saying that in the back of my head, you've never let me go first. You always want to be on, you know, on top of me. And so I took a deep breath and I sat there and I read out all the lined items in which I had come up with, not me, God consciousness, God came up with all those. And at the end, he said um, to me, he goes, you know what? He goes, that sounds great. I agree with all of it. That's God. When I go to God and I do the work and I run it through the steps, one through 12, eight, nine, if I've harmed anybody. And then I pray and I ask him to remove those defects of character, right? And to just, how can I be useful to my kid who's struggling in the drugs? You know? And we did it. We co-parented together and we even invited his bonus mom. That's the stepmom, my ex-husband's new wife. And together we made it work. I'm just telling you today, we're great co-parents. You know, I just saw him on the volleyball field three or four hours ago. And guess what? He's saying hello to my new boyfriend and welcoming him and not being, you know, like a jerk. He's being nice and he's genuinely sincere. And I know it. Like all these things happen. And I could go on and on and on. You want to call me off sit there and I can pull out my book, you know, with my rainbow colored BFDs for you. Um, but you know what? Um, we move from the darkness. We head to the light. Life has a new purpose. Life has a new meaning, you know, and how do I do it? I practice the 12 steps. And what I'm going to say to you is this. I continue to practice and I continue to practice. 
And I have that little like Dora the Explorer chatting in my head. And she says, never give up, never give up. And what does she always take with her? Her backpack. And what does she always have? Her map. That's her guide. And she has her book. I have a big book. I don't know what hers is, but mine's a big book. And that's what I do, right? And I have the power of the spirit with me at all times. If I'm not blocked off from it, if I'm a clear channel and a clear vessel, and that's what I do. So I go from working a program to living a spiritual way of life today. I live in the steps one through 12 to the best of my human ability. Am I perfect? No, far from it. But that's just how I am today. And having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, I'm committed to living this way of life all day, every day, you know, and until, until what, until he, he takes me somewhere. I go home or I'm buried in a box 20 feet under. I don't know where I'm going, <laughs> but it doesn't even matter. Cause I'm just on this planet right now to serve God, to love God, to serve others and to love others. So that's uh, about 40 minutes for me. And, um, I think we're just going to open it up to Q and a, so if anybody has any questions or if they need clarification on something that was said, um, I'll do my best. You know, I have a couple of notes here. However, I just try and speak candidly straight from the heart. So if you want to raise your hand, we can look at that. So I'll just, um, I'll just say, if you don't know how to add, raise your hand, um, let me find the instructions so I tell you the right thing. If you don't know how to raise your hand, um, there are two ways to raise your hand in Zoom. If you have an older version, at the bottom of your screen, you'll see the participants tab. You click on this and it'll open up for a list of names. At the bottom of this list, you will see raise your hand button. Sorry, cat. Um, so you click on that and your hand will be raised and we can see who wants to share. Uh, if you have a newer version of Zoom at the bottom of your screen, you'll see reactions, uh, the reactions tab, click on this tab. And again, you'll see the raise hand button on the bottom. And just a reminder that this meeting is being auditorily recorded. We will call on you using your name, using the name you have given. So if you're uncomfortable with your name being on the recording, please change your name to protect your anonymity. Um, because by sharing or asking a question, you consent to be recorded and having the recording posted on Away Rise. If you do not want to have your voice uh, heard on the recording, send an email or an email, send a, a message in the chat to one of the co-hosts and we can read your question for you. Clear as mud. Yes, hello. Um, that was amazing, um, truly amazing. Um, you mentioned something about, um, I have been transformed that part of, what page is that from? See, you're gonna make me go back to my notes. I'm and sorry. That's okay, like it's just transformation. So you can go to the 12 and 12. Okay. Um, and it talks about a transformation on page 107. Okay. On the right-hand side. It says, uh-huh, in a very real sense, he has been transformed because he has laid hold of a source of strength, which in one way or another, he has hereto denied himself. So transformed, a transformation, a body, mind, and spirit of my soul. So hope that's helpful to you. Yes, thank you so much. You're welcome.
Can I just come in now? Or Go ahead, Bonnie. I people. Yeah, oh, okay. Can be heard. Go ahead. Thanks a lot. Hi, everybody. My name is Bonnie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, wonderful, wonderful share. Holy smokes. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be staying around at the meeting, but you, you, you netted me. You netted me in. Um, what, what I'm wondering about is you talked about doing three inventories. And my process has been at the very beginning, at the very beginning of um, coming into program, I um, did one inventory and I was kind of under the impression that, that that was it, that I did that inventory. It didn't have a huge impact on me. Um, I also did a fifth that had more of an impact on me for sure. But, but then I, um, uh, how can I say, oh, I'm just losing my train of thought here. Yeah. So I, so I did the inventory and then I understand that in the, um, I think it's, is it, the 11th step, 10th or 11th step that we do kind of a daily inventory at bedtime, which I do. I think to myself, you know, okay, I, I really exaggerated something to that person. So I was dishonest. And, and so I, I think about it, but what interests me is it sounds like you, you didn't just do that first inventory you did when you came into program with somebody else that you actually do it you go out and do it what when you have a I little think, gathering of things I think I sure. yeah I think I understand you Bonnie so let me see if I'm hearing you correctly so I say I did inventory right because on step 10 it says though this brings us to step 10 which suggests we continue to take what personal inventory right and we continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along so I was always told that when it says to continue to take personal inventory, I go back to step one. I'll say, I am powerless over this person. It has become unmanageable. I turn it over to you, God, you know, and only you can restore me to sanity. So one, two, and three. And then I start writing pen to paper. I write the columns just like it is laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't say there's any new format at step 10. It says, we continue to go back and do what we did before. Remember, this is not a one and done process. If I think that all I'm going to do is write these columns one time, yeah. I'm sorely mistaken. So it's the 10th step, which I, I say I run a one through seven. You do a 10 step, you do inventory. I think there's just different words for it. So I think that might've been um, what I said that uh, didn't gel, but continue to take personal inventory. And when I am wrong, I promptly admit it. And then do you share that inventory with anybody or is that just for you? Nope, absolutely. You, you, That's you what I said. I go and oh. I share it. It tells me I discuss it with someone immediately. So if you oh. read down on the 10 step on page 84, when he crop up and then I ask God to remove them. So it tells me in this paragraph what I so beautifully did back at steps one, two, three, four, five, six, ask God to remove them seven and eight yep. and nine if I've harmed anybody, right? Six and seven, Got it. eight and nine, if thank I talk to anybody. I totally had missed, missed that process. So thank you very much. That's I clearly okay. have to go back and read my big book again. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. Anna, you want to go real quick? 
Hey, um, well, first, I want to say that I was at the pool and I got the, the message that there was this meeting. I was able to catch the last 20 minutes, but I could relate to so much. And um, it's why it's important. I heard exactly what I was supposed to. But one of the things I wanted to ask was part of my disease is over exercising, over working out and getting really crazy with that. And it's exercise is still important to me. Um, you know, I, I'm an older mom, my kids are very active. I, I feel the need to, to maintain that, but it can't be at the level I was doing before. I think I heard that you also have, or have had exercise in your, in your life. How did you reconcile the exercise as part of just normalness and recovery? And like, you know, if you want to share maybe how that works with you. Sure. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Hope the pool was good. <laughs> well, but... I'm just going to say that. Um, so exercise, <laughs> bulimia for me, it was, um, most of my life. Like that, that's how I kept my weight down as a kid. I was a swimmer. So you never knew I was overweight because I swam, um, in the water, um, extensively from the age eight, all the way to age 18. And that's when it caught up with me was in college. But I knew that um, the exercise was a problem for me um, because I would continue to exercise so I could continue to eat like I wanted, right? Like I could continue to eat the, the alcoholic food and food ingredients because I was like, oh, I'll just work it off later. Or, you know, I would say, oh, I need to get down five more pounds. So I'll go out and pound the pavement even harder. Oh, not just one day a week, twice a week, seven days a week. I'm like, it was insane. Like insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again. And I am expecting to get a different result. No, I'm getting the same result. Like I have to keep up with the exercise. So um, eventually the definition of abstinence um, came into the picture for me in um, program, right? It's um, refraining from compulsive foods or compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. I'd like to say that I was able to put the exercise down easy peasy. I would be disingenuous if I told you that. I acquired three bulging discs in my neck. Guess what happens? They have to put new ones in. Guess what they tell you not to do? work out for six months, guess what caught up with me? My weight. And that's when I began to see that my eating in proportion to the exercise was the effect. And not only did that happen to me once during in, you know, in the first couple of years of program, I got a car accident and then another six months. So I really had to lay it down for a long time. And I'm going to be really honest. Um, like I've done bikini competitions to get skinny. I've worked out at gyms with trainers. Um, and Today, I maybe work out 20 minutes, three days a week. <laughs> I've maintained the same uh, clothing line in my closets. I now have two because I have so much of the same size. And, and how? Because I'm not eating like I used to be eating. You know, I'm eating weighed and measured on a food plan. That's what I'm supposed to do. And if I want to go out and work out and do more, I know that I have to add more to my diet and exercise. So feel free to grab my number. I'll put it in the chat. We can talk offline um, more. I just want to get to Margarita's question real quick before we have to move on to the next person. Go ahead, Margarita. Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Jen. Um, I really needed to hear you today. It was beautiful. Um, I'm so grateful that I was here and um, I loved everything that you share and so clear, but I wanted to ask you about the, the tabs. What do you call them? And what was the, the <laughs> three letters that you use, like B something? And 
I know it's on recording, so I don't know if I should say it again now that I think about it. Okay, I'll just, so these are like these little rainbow tabs, you know, you can get them at the dollar store or wherever. So as you're going throughout your week, you know, and you're doing your inventory process, your 10 steps, your nightly review, whatever it is, and you get a God shot, a God wink, or you can call it a BFD, a big effing deal. I'll say it that way. They're just the big things that are happening, the changes, the rearrangement, like that's what's happening. The spiritual awakening is the rearrangement of my attitude, my, my thinking, the way I feel, the way I react or don't react to things. So it's just, a, it's just a way to keep track. And then you can go back. You're having a crappy week. Go back and look at the ways God's worked in your life. Like hello, or call somebody you've done inventory with before or 10 step with before. And they'll say, don't you remember when, like, look at me. I'm a big fat baby today crying on the screen. Every time I tell you about God's gift and God's grace and God's mercy that he's bestowed upon me as a result of doing what? Getting out of my selfishness, my self-centeredness and getting out of my fear. And so with that, I'm going to say thank you to Margarita and I'm going to pass to the next speaker. Um, actually, my girlfriend. So awesome. Thank you so much for your service and what a great share. Um, just so much, I, you know, I said culmination and I really loved where you took it because it's a culmination of working the steps, but it is a pro it is a progression for the rest of our lives. I totally agree with you on that one. And, um, so grateful to hear your message. Uh, just to let you guys know, um, if you have a pen and paper, that would be great. I am also going to be giving quotes from the the big book, the AA 12 and 12. And um, so, you know, you might want to write down some of the, the numbers or whatever. I mean, there's so many ways that I, I, you know, carry the message. Let me just repeat the step. I did it from memory in the beginning. And of course I messed it up. <laughs> so let me just say here, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So my section is tried to carry this message to alcoholics, carrying the message. Well, there were so many ways we could go about this. I mean, we could have done a whole workshop on just carrying the message, but what I thought I would try to cover to the best of my ability from my own experience, strength and hope is what it was to be sponsored and what it is to be a sponsor in my process of my story. I'm so grateful to be here. This program has literally saved my life. I am a bottle in the bag, living underneath the bridge, compulsive eater, also bulimic, anorexic, recovered alcoholic, drug addict. I mean, are you catching my drift? If there was any way to work this disease, any way to anesthetize myself and my feelings, any way to fill that God-shaped hole that Jen was talking about, I call it my God-shaped hole that I tried to fill with a knife and a fork and any other mood-altering substance. You know, if there was any way to do this disease, I, I did it. Dying, desperate, and doomed, the three Ds of the disease. I love sayings. You're going to hear me say a lot of them. The three Ds of disease, dying, desperate, and doomed. I was finally ready to work this program because of the other three Ds of this disease, denial, delusion, and defiance. And I had that in spades. And... Um, just to qualify, I came in in Overeaters Anonymous, my first OA meeting in uh, March of 83. 
I've been recovered since December of 87. Talk about dating myself, Pearl Harbor Day. The ships were sunk and so was I when it came to this disease. And I have been recovered. Jen mentioned the definition of abstinence, which is um, refraining from compulsive food and food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight, physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery. And I like to add while doing so happily, never in my wildest imagination would I have a spiritual awakening that would allow me to live my life without the food being wrapped around my throat and the food behaviors where I'm thinking and obsessing about food, weight, calories, scale, living my life and defining myself by my outsides and by a number on a scale, you know, um, and I'm free from that today, one day at a time because of these 12 steps. My top weight as a compulsive overeater was about 170, but like I said, denial, delusion, and defiance, I just didn't get on the scale anymore, and I probably put on another 20, so pushing 200. My lowest weight, also an anorexic in this disease, was 102. Trust me, I know that number. Driving in my car in the summer with my jacket on and the heat on. I mean, I'm five, I'm a little shy of 5'8". So my normal weight is between 125 and 130. So 102 was my anorexic number. And then by far and away, my worst manifestation of my illness was bulimia. Uh, this disease is so cunning and so baffling and so powerful. I thought when I was a teenager, my friend said to me, hey, you can just stick your finger down your throat. I thought I had the magic trick that would give me what I thought was my life's desire, which was to eat whatever I want and not get fat. Because I bought the myth the world sells you that thin is well. And then I just needed to meet the magic numbers on the scale. I had no idea that I was up against that twofold illness that is mentioned in the big book. And by the way, what I when I say big book, I'm saying take out the word alcohol and alcoholism, and I put in food and compulsive eater, and it describes me. If I go to the doctor's opinion, it describes me when I replace those two words. That's all I need to do, and it describes me to a T, and it gives me a solution which is these 12 steps. Step zero, put the food down and then get onto the business of working the 12 steps. Um, also, just, I forgot to ask someone to time me. So if you could give me um, a heads up when I'm at 25 minutes and, um, and then, you know, closing to 40. I'm hoping not to get to that because one of the reasons why I asked to bring a pen and paper is that I'd like to have Jen and Lewis and I towards the end be a panel for anyone who has questions about sponsorship, about what you what to do to, to get a sponsor, what questions about how, with sponsees. I know there's a lot of questions. And I think one of the worst things we can do in Overeaters Anonymous is water down the program by not knowing how to sponsor or trying to wing it ourselves when we don't know what we're doing in early sponsorship. You know, it is a we fellowship. We work together to learn how to sponsor and the big book teaches us as well. So that's just an aside. So I hope to have time um, to do that. So I just, wanted, I just wanted to tell you, Cassie is timing so you can look for her when we get Okay. Well, Cassie, do me a favor and shout out because I'm on gallery view and I won't see, you know what I mean? Feel free to interrupt me. No problema whatsoever. Um, so 
just to, to, oh, I do have some pictures here and hopefully I'm going to do this right. Uh, okay, so I'm going to screen share and then I think I click on one, wait here, this one, and then I hit share. Uh, can you guys see my picture? Is there, no. Shoot, no, it okay. just says OA picks number one. Okay, let me try this again. To shrink your screen. Can you see that? Yep, there you go. Okay. So, okay. That's what it is. Yeah. So, you know, at this age, I'm maybe 30, 40 pounds overweight. I'm a teenager and uh, you can't see my brother next to me, but he's very, very popular. I'm the youngest of four. And, you know, if, if I thought of myself back then, I thought I was obese and, you know, that's what the disease does. It tints our thinking and how we see ourselves. And, you know, my three other siblings were extremely popular. And I always felt like, what happened when it came to me? You know, I felt like someone gave out the instruction manual to life and looks and somehow passed me by. You know, why wasn't I good enough? Jen mentioned about how we think about ourselves and behaviors and all of these things started real early for me. And it talks about it in the big book. Why do we eat? Why do we drink? Because we're restless, irritable, and discontent, the rids, as I call them. And we can only get a sense of ease and comfort when we take that food or that bite or that drink or that drug. And that's exactly what food was doing for me. I couldn't live in my own skin. I had a dis-ease living in my own skin. And food gave me a sense of comfort and ease and comfort. And it was beginning to wrap itself around around my throat in my early teens. Cause I came to my first ovaries anonymous meeting when I was 18. And then I struggled for almost five years until I finally surrendered in totality uh, in, at age 22. So that might tell you how old I am, but I'll lie, deny and all that. <laughs> and then here, this other picture, are we still screen sharing? Are we done or are we not screen sharing anymore? No, you can share your screen again. It just stops sharing. So go ahead and share it again. Okay, thank you so much. So, mm -hmm. okay, so uh, screen share again on. Okay, so this this is the anorexic phase for me. Um, you know, because I, like I said, I bought the myth the world sells you. And this wasn't even at 102, but I thought if, I don't know, to me, I look in my eyes and, and they look dead. You know, I was suffering tremendously, starving and compulsively exercising, hoping that there was some way that you all could tell me I was okay. This disease ravages you emotionally, spiritually, and physically, uh, you know, suicide on the layaway plan. And um, I didn't know what I was up against. And it was still, I was not good enough. I was not thin enough. I was not skinny enough. And I didn't understand what was going on with me. By then, this was close to 18 before I walked into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And I had no clue. If you had asked me what was wrong with my life at that time, I would have said the guy I didn't have a crush on fell in love with me. My family was ridiculously effed up. You know, you know, life wasn't going my way. I blamed all these external circumstances. I didn't know I was dealing with a twofold illness, a mental allergy and a physical obsession. And what that talks about in the big book 
is that means that when I ingest certain substances into my body, and for me, that's sugar, high fat, flour, and volume. Volume was a big one for me. I'm an unabashed way and measure have been for over 34 years because I don't know three ounces from beef from half a cow, depending on my emotional nature. I need to know where my meal starts and stops. I need to know that it's free of all my allergic substances. That to me is step zero. And I can't work the steps without knowing clearly what the line in the sand of abstinence is for me. You know, in AA, we put the plug in the jug and OA, we need to know what jug to put the plug in. And I needed that clarity. Now, again, I didn't know that when I walked into my first Overeaters Anonymous in March of 1983. And to be honest with you, if I had known, I probably would have run the hell in the other direction because I thought was all I needed was a diet, right? I just needed something to fix the symptom. That's all diets do for a compulsive eater with a twofold illness like me, but I didn't know. And I saw a sign. I was in Northfield, Minnesota. I was at St. Olaf College my freshman year. I'd gone from being anorexic and underweight to putting on weight faster than I could even think of in the first six weeks of school there, binging and purging around the clock. And this is what the disease does. It, 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 it ravages you. And I remember at my worst phases there, I was binging and pu puking into a plastic bag and a trash can and sneaking out at three o'clock in the morning to go put it in the bigger trash bins. And I'll never forget one time I went to go do that and I missed the big trash bin and it fell out on the asphalt and split and vomit went everywhere. And of course, all the junior counselors the next day went around to the rooms to find out who the bulimic was knocking on doors. Like someone was actually going to say, are you were the bulimic and someone was actually going to say yes. But I remember the blood rushing up to my face when they came to knock on my door. And I thought for sure they knew it was me. Of course, I said no, but that was that is how I felt about myself. And when they shut the door, I turned around and I hit the bed frame as hard as I could with my fast fist. And I broke three knuckles in my hands. Mm -hmm. Later on that year, I looked at myself in the mirror and I punched the mirror and I got stitches in my hands because that's how much I hated myself. I didn't understand what I was up against. My family's motto is all it takes is a little willpower, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do anything you set your mind to. And I didn't understand how I could achieve in other areas, but in this area, I could not stay on a diet. What was wrong with me? I must be the worst person. And that's the kind of thinking that dominates. That's the mental obsession. And then, oh, again, I'll start on Monday. So, you know, why am I focusing on this when it comes to the idea of carrying the message? Because part of carrying the message is identification and hope. So if you're new here, I'm just telling you, I've been where you've been. And I can tell you I'm on the other side. I'm not all that because I got 34 years. This program is all that. It talks about it on page 17 of the big book. We have a common solution upon which we can absolutely agree and join in brotherly and harmonious action. It's a common solution. It's a secret code. Put down the food, work the steps like your hair's on fire. It says it on page 59 and how it works. We stood at the turning point right? We ask his care, whatever his care is. My higher power is God. My, my first sponsor was like, my first real sponsor was like, look, I don't care if you think it's Jesus, Buddha, or the universal vibes of a tree, as long as it isn't you and it's greater than you. And by then, after almost five years in Overeaters Anonymous, going through a slew of sponsors, because I was unwilling to work this program the way it was laid out here. She finally said, if your way is working for you so well, why are you here? Mm -hmm. You know, 
And I struggled with that, that agnosticism. And she said, look, do you need a power greater than yourself? And I said, yes. And this is not to blame all the sponsors that went before. The big book talks about love and tolerance is our code. I mean, I just was not willing. And I guess the saying is when the pain of where you are gets bad enough, you'll move. Or when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I mean, you all, I was just batshit crazy. I just could not see myself without working this program my way. You know, me, myself, and I was getting myself dying of this disease. But this is a program of we, us, and others right? And I didn't understand that. I kept thinking that now I knew about OA, I could admit I was powerless, but then somehow I could still, based on knowledge and human experience and willpower, could fix myself. And I spent almost five years in torturous hell in Overeaters Anonymous. They say OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because it ruins all your binges because you know too effing much, right? And that was the torture. I thought I was in torture prior to Overeaters Anonymous. And I didn't even know what I was doing then. I'd never even heard of the world compulsive overeater, right? But then I got into OA and every binge was like, oh my gosh, am I one of those guys? It ruined all of my binges. I could find no peace. And finally surrendered at step one, I was willing to ask someone to sponsor me again, probably sponsor number 10 or 12. I don't know, I lost count. And I asked her, what do I do? You see, step one is not only about admitting powerlessness. It's for me, it's about making a choice. I had to choose to surrender. Only I can do that. Only I can choose to surrender, to not or to do. And when surrender, that means to take action. So I had to be willing to take action. Even with everything I already knew in Overage Anonymous, I asked her to show me the way. And I asked a recovered person. And that's what's so important, too, when we talk about sponsorship and asking people to sponsor us. This is someone who has gone before. It talks it on page, talks about it on page 164 in the big book and the vision for you at the end. Right. I'm just going to I'm just going to read it out here because, of course, I'll but butcher it if I don't. It says here. Um, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. So I had to get on with the business of finding a recovered sponsor, following instructions, and then moving on to sponsor others. But I wasn't ready to do that right away. But you know what? Service can take many, many forms. Carrying the message can take many, many forms. And my sponsor, bless her heart, unwilling to water down the program, willing to love me and hate my disease, towed the line for me. Step zero, we put the food down. We figured out my alcoholic ingredients. We got a food plan from a dietitian, doctor, nutritionist. For me, it was a nutritionist. And then we got into the business of going through the first 164 pages of the big book and doing the inventory and doing all those things. And in the meantime, because I wasn't ready, to sponsor at that point, because I didn't have something I could give away. She had me doing service, okay? I remember there was one meeting, my first service ever 
in, in, in 1987 was to carry a flipping sign that said, let go and let God or easy does it. And I mean, I hated carrying this sign. It was the most ridiculous thing I could ever think of doing. Talk about a program of ego reduction. I hated that sign. I wanted to finish the 12 steps so I could be recovered and never have to carry that freaking sign again. But guess what? It got me to the meeting. And I carried that sign. And then she had me do other things. I became um, a literature person. I became a newcomer greeter. So just for a second, I wanted to try something here because I will tell you, never underestimate the power of one person and the message they can carry to the still suffering compulsive overeater. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. My higher power does that and has done it again and again and again in recovery. Remember I told you about that first meeting in Overeaters Anonymous? I walked into that meeting. I sat down. I heard someone tell their story and I thought, oh my gosh, is this what I am? Is this who I am? She talked about you know, putting food in the trash can and then going back like a couple of days later and digging it back out. I had done that. I thought there was no one else in the world that did that. I mean, this is a disease that wants to get up in your head and tell you you're the only one, you know, get up in your head, isolate you and kill you. But you all were telling my story. But then you mentioned God. And at that point, so firmly entrenched in my agnosticism, I got up in the middle of the meeting, Miss Drama Queen, of course. I got up in the middle of the meeting. You knew where I was leaving, right? In a huff, and I walked out of that room. And thank God, thank God, someone followed me out of that meeting. She's not my sponsor. She never was my sponsor, but she followed me out of that meeting. And it brings me to tears because that one person, I believe, was God's messenger to save my life because she didn't come out and try to convince me. This was a recovered compulsive overeater, as far as I knew, and she didn't try to convince me about God. She knew why I left that meeting. Instead, she brought a pamphlet. We still have it today in Overeaters Anonymous, fantastic pamphlet. It has 15 questions, and it says on it, are you a compulsive overeater? And it's 15 questions. You know, Do you eat a little bit in front of other people and then anticipate going home and eating? Have you ever been treated for overweight? There were 15 questions. I always laugh because I was failing out of school at that point. Point. It was the first A, 100%. I'd gotten on a test in a really long time, right? Because I was just binging and purging in my room all the time. And it was like a splash of cold water in my face. I didn't know about the God thing. And she said, the only requirement for membership, don't worry about the rest. But if any of these questions apply, the only requirement for membership is to stop being crazy with food. We want you back. Please feel free. There's no requirement. Come back. And that person carried a message to me that still impacts me today because I know that was God's way of saying, here is the solution. So this is what I'd like to do because there are a lot of different ways. And I did it myself and I came up with like 10 different ways that we can give service that doesn't even include sponsorship. So if we could just take one minute and take a pad to paper, I would like you guys to brainstorm for just a minute brainstorm things that you can do outside of sponsor sponsorship that still have an impact in over mind that, that still carry a message. So let's just, I'm going to time it starting right now. And then I'm going to have people just shout out. I mean, the raising of hand things, I don't know, hopefully it'll work out. We'll see how it goes, but let's just give it a minute starting now and write down your ideas.
Okay, we got 10 seconds. All righty. So I don't know, can people unmute themselves or do we have, does the host have to unmute everybody? Okay, so if you guys want to unmute yourselves and just shout out, I mean, hopefully we don't need to talk over each other, but I'd love to hear some of your ideas because it's it's important. Go ahead, chime in. Making phone calls. Awesome. Yep. Going to meetings in Zoom and having your video on. <laughs> yeah. It's going to meetings, period. Going to meetings, period. To have them be so that we can have a meeting. Yeah. Doing service work for your inner group. Amen, sister. At in person meetings, help with the setup. Outreach. Absolutely. And one thing um, I do is um, I try to pray for the people that. I feel like are in pain and I just remember their name and just try to jot it down and so I can, you know, remember what, yeah. Great. Being a reader or taking a position like a treasurer or. Great. Staying abstinent. Absolutely. Putting pamphlets in places. Yep. At work in the bathroom. Yep. Bathrooms are great. I mean, y'all are getting the gist here. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's someone else. Hosting and leading meetings. Yeah. And co-hosting. Yeah. A lot of new service positions now with Zoom that are uh, really, really important. I mean, y'all are getting the gist here. There is so much that we can do. And my sponsor made it very clear to me that we start service from day one when we work this program. Repetition is the father of learning. This is how we get out of ourselves. We be of service to others. We learn to be more other-centered instead of God-centered. And that's really important because I don't know about you, but there's that saying, you know, 23 hours a day, I think of myself. And the other last hour, I think about what you think of me, right? So- <laughs> This is a program where we learn how to get out of ourselves. That's part of that spiritual awakening. And just some other ideas that I had to, you know, manage the we care list. Amy, you're muted. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. That's I was okay. You muted. said manage the we care list. Go right ahead. Uh, okay. So manage the we care list, uh, make tea and coffee at a meeting. Uh, give a ride to me. These were things that, you know, we were doing what my sponsor had me do. And it was invaluable because by the time I worked through the steps and I got to the point where sponsorship was an important aspect, I started to understand the truth of service, which is that it keeps me sober and abstinent. And it allows me to give back what I have so generously been given. So I just wanted to touch on that because not everyone at the meeting, I'm assuming is, you know, if you're new, there's things that you can do to dive in and be a part of the we, 
that we admitted we are powerless, be a part of this fellowship and be of service. And my sponsor was adamant that if I was to be her sponsee, she required me to do service. That was part of my requirement to work with her. And I think that that was an invaluable thing for me. And so, you know, as we progress through my recovery, I'm just going to move along with my story here. I got to a point where I had worked through and completed the steps and I began to have a relationship with a higher power. Talk about that spiritual awakening that Jen was talking about. You know, the promises are after the ninth step. There are promises because by the, that come before that, because by the time I got to that step, for one, that was a step when it was Amy's way, that there were people that I said, when hell freezes over, I was ever going to make amends, right? But by the time I got to that step, I was ready. That's why they're in the order that they are. And I was willing to take a step out. We don't think our way into recovery. We act our way into a new way of thinking and behaving in recovery. This is a do. This is a can-do program. And I had to be willing to do that. And by the time I got to that ninth step and I stepped out in faith, right, because faith without works is dead, I saw my higher power, whom I choose to call God now, which is miraculous in itself, being as agnostic as I was, I saw God doing for me what I could not do for myself. And that's why I think the promises, in my humble opinion, are after the ninth step for real, because that was happening again and again when it came to my amends. And then, you know, moving forward through living in 10, 11, and 12, my sponsor said, this is not optional. You need to move ahead and start, start sponsoring someone. And, and, and I was panicked, okay? I'm only human. We never rise above being human. I thought, how am I going to do what you did, sponsor? You know, like I had no clue. And she said, first of all, Amy, this is a we program. We do not do this alone. And this is where the fellowship comes to the fore, where some of the three most important words that you can say in sponsorship when you're sponsoring someone besides being recovered yourself is I don't know and let me get back to you. Okay, that's four words. Okay, because that's when we pick up the phone and we call another recovered person and say, I'm dealing with this situation with my sponsor, but I'm not sure how to answer that. And they would give me feedback and then I would turn around and I would then help, help the sponsee answer that question. Again, we don't sponsor in a vacuum. And one of the things that is the killing fields in Overeaters Anonymous, in my humble opinion, is the watering down of this program and winging it in ways that is never written in the literature, in any of the literature, right? The big book for me became a textbook. That's why it's got all my little post-its. It's bound because it's falling apart. This is my fourth edition. You should see my third edition that's falling apart. It's the same thing with tradition five. And then there's the, there's the coveted, as they call it back in the 80s, this is the OA Brown book or affectionately called the chocolate book. <laughs> this was a posted, this was a first edition in 1980 and they did another one in um, 19 or 2001 with stories, uh, stories. I mean, obviously we have the stories in the big book, but the chocolate book, I'm sorry, the Brown book has the, um, all the stories of people's recovery from compulsive eating specifically. So either one of those additions were so important for me in my sponsorship as well. We go through stories, we go through the big book. And when I had questions, I asked my sponsor how to sponsor and she showed me the way. And one of the things she also told me as well is this, this you know, the manifestation of our illness is compulsive eating. For me not to deal with food plans and with food at the beginning you know, means it, it's, it seems incredibly stupid to, to, do, to not do that. So I'm going to set a parameter 
with my sponsee, she taught me this, which is first, we're going to deal with the food. Yes, it's not just about the food. I can be stark raving abstinent, not working the steps, but I can't be working the steps while I'm eating and hope that I'm going to get recovered. The food has to be down first. The big book talks about entire abstinence and that's exactly what I had to be. And I had to help my other sponsees do that as well. Some sponsees came in with a food plan that was fine. Others did not. So we had to figure it out together. And once that was done, we then got onto the business of going through. And, you know, she was very helpful in the sense that she said, look, when you're trying to teach something, you're going to give them a, a curriculum of what you're going to do. Like when you're in school, you get this thing about says, this is what we're going to be covering, you know, while you're in class with me. So what I did, um, she taught me how to tell the sponsee, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask for you to be abstinent. I'm going to ask you to make phone calls to newcomers. I'm going to ask you to get a home group. I'm going to ask you to do service. These are all the things. And I laid them out so that they could understand completely about what it was I was going to ask them to do if they wanted me to sponsor them. You know, if you want what we have and are willing to go in any lengths, here are the steps. And then I said, come back to me. Think about it. Don't do frothy emotional appeal. Don't just say yes without thinking about it. Think about it. Pray about it because these are going to be very strong suggestions for me, okay? I, you know, love you, hate your disease, but if these are things you don't think you can do, then, then you know, there's a, a thousands of other people that maybe you could ask to be your sponsor. This is all I can do. This is what I know. And if you want that, this is what we're going to do. And it helps to set that out as well. And so this all helped me let go of the fear. We have a great person in OA that's been around for a long time. And he says, look, if the person is desperate enough, Mickey Mouse could be their sponsor, right? And if they're desperate enough, it would work. And I love that because it just took my ego out of all of that. There's, there's, another, great, there's another great saying in there that says, um, uh, we are only messengers of the program. God chooses the message and how that message is received. And the rest is out of control, is out of our control, right? We have to leave room for God to work. And that's, that's that I am not responsible. I carry the message. I don't carry the person. And sometimes that's really hard because I'll be honest with you. And again, not to speak with about me being around for a long time, but I, I have been around for a long time in the point that I've had an opportunity to sponsor over the decades. And I will tell you, this has been consistent because this is a chronic relapse prone, kill you slowly on the suicide plan disease. I can tell you that for every eight to 10 people I sponsor, one to two get recovered and stay that way. It's a sad statistic. Is that 25? It's about 27. Okay, awesome. I'm going to be wrapping up in a few here. And that's that's difficult sometimes because I, you know, I, I want so much. We want so much to carry the message, but sometimes we're just seed planters. And if that's where God has me, then so be it. But I refuse to water down the program for you. I I I and I also know what works for me, and that's all I can teach you. And I have to leave room for God to work. My sponsor is constantly telling me that leave room for God to carry the message, not you, right? And so that that is the statistic. And then the other thing I would say is that I also heard this again in another meeting. We plagiarize the hell out of each other, which is just great. So, anyways, uh, the question was. 
or actually this was Lois, I think if I remember correctly, this was Lois. I don't know where it was talking to Bill because Bill and Bob had been like trying for six months to con quote convert somebody and nobody, nobody was sticking with it. Everybody was relapsing. And he's like, you know, my statistics are awful. I have not gotten one person sober. And she said, you know, well, your statistic is actually a hundred percent because you're sober. And that's what, that's what it is. That's why for me, sponsoring is not optional, you know, and in Overeaters Anonymous, I think there's a tendency for us to think that it's either optional or we're just going to wait till someone asks us to be a sponsor. And I just can't tell you how much I disagree with that because I believe that if I'm recovered, I not only have the honor and the privilege to carry the message, but I have a responsibility to get out there on the firing lines and carry the message by sponsoring. So that means if there's no one asking me to be a sponsor, that means I'm carrying my big book to a meeting and I'm putting my phone number in the chat now saying that I'm available to sponsor. I'm putting myself at meetings where they're looking for sponsors. I am offering that out because my recovery, my recovery cannot stand not being able to do that. Um, it's what would my sponsor used to say to me all the time. I, I wrote this down. She said, you know, no more waiting to be asked, put your name out there. Your recovery depends on it. And that's exactly the case for me. And I'm just going to say by wrap up by saying for me, like in summary here, sorry, I hope it wasn't all over the map, but in summary, there are three reasons four actually, but three, the most important reasons why I sponsor. One is it keeps me sober and it keeps me sane. You know, not only my wildest dreams did I ever think food wouldn't call, this program has kept me abstinent by the grace of God on these 12 steps one day at a time, but it's also keeping me sober and sane and giving me and equipping me with new tools on how to live my life. Jen mentioned that of the inventory, living in 10, 11, and 12. I'm now equipped to deal with life on life's terms. I don't do it perfectly, but instead of reaching for the food or the mood altering substance, I now have a different reaction to life, right? I can do something different now because you all have taught me there is a different way and I don't have to do it alone. That is miraculous. But without giving service, I can't stay on the firing lines and I need to be able to get out of myself to do it. And the only way to do that is to be of service by carrying the message. And I'll just blurt out a, a bunch of pages here that talk about it. They're not joking around in the AA 12 and 12 and in the big book, okay? The first one is in Bill's story on page 14 where he says, says here, um, here we go. Uh, faith. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was page 14 of Bill's story. Let's see. Let's My faith, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all our affairs, particularly is imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said. How appallingly true for the alcoholic. And that's on page 14, and that's the last paragraph. And then we can go to page 20. It talks about it on page 20 here. 
Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends upon our constant thought of how we may help meet their needs. And then we could go over to the 12 and 12, very simply on page 130, we're talking about tradition one. Moreover, he finds he cannot keep this priceless gift unless he gives it away. And then on tradition five on page uh, 151. Uh, okay, here we go. For us, if we neglect those who are still sick, there is unremitting danger to our own lives and sanity. I mean, it just, it goes on and on. I tried to actually Google like how many places in the big book in the 12 and 12, it lists that. I'm sure I only touched the surface, but again, this ensures immunity that's one of the purposes of service for my own recovery and my sanity from compulsive eating and living insanely, right? And then the other reason, the second one real quick is gratitude. And that's reflected in my action by being service, being of service to others. I can never give back what has so generously been given to me through, all, through what you all have done for me. And so I do it out of gratitude and it teaches me to be in action in service to others. And the third is moving from a self from a self-centered person to a more other and God-centered person. Again and again, as I look outside of myself and search to help others, I get out of myself and I heal myself as well. And I know that that works because again and again, I can get on the spot, I can get on the phone with someone and I can say I'm struggling and I don't have an answer. And then I'll have a newcomer and they will call me and they'll, we won't be talking about my problem, we'll be talking about theirs, but I hang up the phone and somehow I feel better about my life. It's how it works over and over and over again. And the last thing is because I'm responsible. I'm sure you guys have heard this in um, Overeaters Anonymous where Roseanne says, I put my hand in yours and together we can do what we can never do alone. That is actually from a quote that, um, that was taken in 1965 when Bill Wilson was speaking at the 30th anniversary, anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous at their international convention. And he said, when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, let the hand of AA and OA, I like to think, always be there. And for that, I am responsible. That's what we do, folks. I stay sober by helping you stay sober. I mean, there's so much more that we could cover for sponsorship, but that's what I got for today. And I wanted to give us time to be able to ask any questions that we might have about sponsorship to see if we could be of help. And with that, I'll pass. Did you want to do some Q&A, Amy, or? Yes, so we've got Lewis, Jen, and I who are here, and I wanted to give the remaining minutes, which is what, 20 some, right, at this point? I think, I know I went over 30, so make what, still at 20 or so, to be able to mm -hmm. answer questions that people might have. Right, we, don't, we, we have until the top of the hour, till three o'clock each section because we allow oh. an hour for each. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought, oh, sorry. I must've spoke way longer than I expected then. I thought I was closer to the 40 minute mark. Um, well, we, I we can always give more time. If we can give more time if, um, 
but it just will mean less at the very end. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no worries. Y'all, my phone number is in my picture. If you please feel free to call me if you have any questions about sponsorship. We'll take like two quick questions, but I do not want to take away from our next speaker, Lewis. So um, just call me, okay? Text me, call me, whatever. I'll help out in any way that I can. Okay, so Dion, do you want to go ahead and ask a question? You need to unmute yourself, Dion. Sorry, sorry, I was not able to unmute. They, they weren't letting me. Uh, I'm Diana, I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your story and your shares and just uh, both of them have been awesome. Um, I have just a quick question. I too have a couple of fellowships that, um, that I'm involved in. It's like, how do you balance the, the two and you know, do all the service and things that are necessary, even though they might be the same, they're different. So that's my question, if you have time. Any of you guys want to cover that one, or shall I? I can take a uh, shot at it. Um, Dan, I, I'm also, uh, um, I, I related very much to what Amy said. I'm an equal uh, equal opportunity pathology person. You know? <laughs> so I, I belong to multiple fellowships and it, it is a, it is a balancing act. It's, it's a challenge, but um, I, I do, I, I talk to my sponsor on, on a daily basis with this program and also um, go to uh, meetings. I, I, this is a fundamental thing for me. So are the other fellowships. So I, I do something every day with, with all the fellowships every day. I do at least a little bit of something. So it's, um, it's, uh, I have to just keep my foot in the game. You know, um, it just takes, to, it, it's, it's a question of balancing time. And it, and it, and it took me a little bit of time of trying different things to get into a, a, a good rhythm, but it, what's important is just to keep trying. Awesome. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, Chris, before we get to the top of the hour there, go ahead, Chris. Hi, just trying to unmute. I have actually two questions for any of the two of the three uh, speakers. And my first one is how long does it take you to go through um, your 12 steps with a sponsee? Um, I can take that. I mean, it will vary to, based on um, us figuring out our time commitments, what works. So for example, for me, I can just say on average, I speak to uh, an OA person three times a week and maybe four when they're going through their inventory, fourth step. So usually that'll take for us uh, we'll spend a week or so figuring out the food and all that kind of stuff. And then I will be giving them reading assignments to go through the first 164 pages with reading, uh, reading assignments while we're not talking and also using the, a the AA 12 and 12. And then we'll meet and go through paragraph by paragraph um, at least three times a week. And then they set a date for their fourth step. And then we'll go through the four step and that may take, you know, us meeting four times a week or whatever, because I can't give a block of like four hours to go through a four step, uh, especially now because I can't meet with them in person. It's more of a local, I mean, more of a, you know, on Zoom or on the phone kind of thing. And then we're usually done probably 
about three or four months, something like that. No more than no more than six. That would be really pushing it, depending on when they can get their fourth step done. A lot of it will also depend on that. If I could get them every, if I could talk to them every day, it would go faster. But that's that's on average for me. Anything less than about four months. Anything more than four months, somewhere around there. Hope that helps. Okay, well, it is 6.01. I'm sorry, I kept talking. I just had no idea. I thought there was still whatever. But again, call me if you have questions. Happy to help out in any way that I can. And now I know we're going to go back over to, I guess, to Sherry or whomever and take a break. Yeah, so we're just going to take a five minute break. So three. Lewis. Good afternoon. I'm Carlos Food. My name is Lewis. And um, so grateful to be here. And um, boy, this is going to be a tough thing to follow. So that's all I can say. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm you know, two fantastic shares. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Amy, for um, sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the two other elements of the 12th step. And this, this portion that I'm going to share on is um, called the challenge, which is practicing these principles in all our affairs. And um, one of the things that's really important to recognize about principles are for me, the, the spiritual principles that underlie this program are the guardrails of God's will. So in other words, I more often than not, outside of being physically abstinent and weighing, measuring my food and following my food plan, I many times just have no idea what God's will is for me. But I do know one thing, and that is if I act on spiritual principles, then what happens is God's will becomes clearer. Sometimes it's clear, but that's typically fairly rare, um, but it's clearer. So um, what I'd like to do is just begin my discussion on um, a little bit of background uh, on this and then go into what what, how principles work for me in my life. And, um, and, and to me also, what's really important about principles is how I extend sanity, the sanity I gain in here out to, to not only the, the service I do to the people in the program, but also to my family life and my home life. I, I, you know, the, the program for me is the laboratory of we. You all show me and, 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 and give me the experience of what it truly means to be a healthy, sane, mature part of we, okay? And it's my moral responsibility to take this experience here and apply it out there. Because if I want sanity out there, okay, outside of the, the program, I have to bring it. I have to provide it. And that is what it means in, in kind of at the base level, what it means to practice the principles in all my affairs. So um, when I, I was, um, I come from a family of alcoholism and untreated uh, compulsive overeating. My father's alcoholic. My mom was an uh, untreated compulsive overeater. Both parents were untreated bipolar. I also have bipolar disorder. Uh, at age six, I began my journey with this disease. I had my first compulsive bite, completely transformed my life. Um, and my, my life became about food until I was roughly about 11 years old when I started doing drugs and alcohol. 
without question, I was still um, practicing uh, compulsive eating, but uh, the drugs and alcohol were, were more of a focus and, and, and drove a lot of my behavior, uh, more of my behavior at the time than the, than the eating. But I definitely binged and, and my cycle of eating was I binge ate and I binge not ate, not eating. So I would, I would, I would restrict, I would do uh, exercise bulimia. And so I yo-yoed for years. Um, so I got sober when I was 22. Um, and I also smoked cigarettes, which also helped cut the, the, the weight off some. Uh, and then I quit smoking once I was, uh, after my first year of re recovery. And that's when the, the, the eating really took off. And it was years of yo-yoing, insane diets, you know, all the stuff that, you know, the pays and ways, the, you know, I did the hospital programs. Um, and uh, I'll, I've got a picture here that I want to show you of where this disease took me. Um, uh, it took me to... Um, over 300 pounds. That's where this took me. And the grace of Overeaters Anonymous and you all showing me how to find God in a cup has not only taken off 130 pounds of that weight, but has kept it off for years now. And I've been in maintenance weight for, for, for quite a while by the grace of God and um, the, the principles of this program. I want you all to give me. So, um, so what, what I've learned from a, from a principles perspective and, and um, from a 12-step perspective is that when we get to this step, okay, there's an element of it. There's almost kind of a, a sense of urgency to it, which is very healthy. And, um, and what it is, the, the urgency is one of engagement, that I have to engage with others. That, that, that I have to connect with others, that, 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 that I have to ultimately, the, the, the core practice of principles is service for me, okay? And, and to me, what service means is that I decrease so that others may increase. So in other words, as been shared earlier, it's, it's how do I get out of myself? And, and how, do I, how do I wrap my hand, head around doing this practically? You know, because principles is a big term. And unfortunately, principles are, are, are stated throughout all the literature, but there's no like a, a menu or recipe that, that specifically says these are quote unquote, all the principles of the program, okay? Um, the thing that has worked out the best for me in terms of a list of principles, is the list of principles that were created um, uh, by Bill and Bob to, uh, to manage engagement of meetings, otherwise known as the traditions, okay? So to me, the traditions indicate what is a healthy way to apply principles to relationships, to work, to uh, any, any type of human endeavor, it gives me a, a, a kind of a, um, 
a checklist, if you will, of different things that I can run by myself, run by sponsors and, and everything, writing, and to, to be able to sort through, um, it, particularly in areas when I feel uh, unstable, okay, when, when circumstances where I feel, where, where my feelings are kicked up and, and, I, and I feel that things are a bit out of control. And, and a lot of times, it's, that's not the case at all. Okay, it's it's it, it has to do with um, a lot of times my, my being confused and just not knowing. The traditions gives me a framework, okay, of of principles that 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 show me how to how to healthily and maturely engage with other people, okay, both in program and out of program. So I come in program to learn, I go out of program to apply, and then learn out there, and then bring that learning back into program. So um, there, are, there are four kind of core spiritual dilemmas that came out of my disease that I carry as a abstinent compulsive eater. One is that I, as a human being, have a profound desire to belong. But as an addict, I don't know how to. I have... Number two is I crave stability. When I, when I, in my upbringing and through much of my life because of the unmanageability of this disease, I certainly had some stability in my life, but not a lot of it. And so I craved it. And, and one of the things that food did give me was a stable experience. I could recreate it at will. It was easy to get food. It, could, it was easy. I could get that sense of ease and comfort easily. And it was repetitive. Okay, so I got a delusion of stability with that. But what I've learned in the practice of the, the, the this program is that spiritual principles are stable. Okay, and they're very stable. You know, and if I take action in spiritual principles, I can then experience the fruits of that stability. You know, so um, the third dilemma that 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 I have um, is that. It, I, I harbor prejudices, and prejudices are ways in which I interpret my value system. And, um, and one of the most destructive prejudices that I have is that discomfort is bad and comfort is good. And so the reason I go into this is that it colors, is that those types of how I see things and how I value things, because that's what prejudices do, is give me the ability of of, of prioritizing one thing over another by saying that discomfort is bad and comfort is good that 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 drives my decision making okay and and therefore colors how i see principles so i've had to learn in, in, in a very painful manner in recovering working the steps that both are neither okay and that and that principles are are ways in which I engage my value system and can experience my value system differently because the principles are more stable than my value system, okay? And certainly are more stable than my perspective in my value system. And then the fourth spiritual dilemma that I have is that I, I came into this program not liking me. And what practicing spiritual principles does for me is that it creates um, accountability in my interactions and in my, in my uh, human connections 
which in turn make me feel better about me. Spiritual principles lead to character growth and character development because I, because they more often than not demand that I delay gratification. That there's a, that, that, that for whatever reason, whatever's going on, okay, and I have to make a choice and take an action, that 90 plus percent of the time, if I delay gratification, that it will yield a result that is far better than anything I can imagine, okay? I've learned, and I, and I have to keep coming back here, okay, to be reminded that that's the proper choice. In other words, we hear a lot about the pause, okay, that people talk about within steps six and seven. Um, and, and that is an exercise of the pause is to delay gratification and to determine, and this is one of the things one of my sponsor focuses on, because frequently, what is the higher principle? You know, you're, you're, you're thrust into circumstances where you have competing principles, and, it's, and it can be very confusing to determine uh, which is greater than another one, which is more important, and then having the sensitivity and the recognition of what's going on in, in people's lives around us, okay, and around me, to be able to make the right decision and make the right choice. Okay, I, uh, uh, that's the moral responsibility that I have in recovery. Um, so what I'd like to do is give you a little bit of, a, of, of what's going on in my life today, which is, which is really bringing to the front of how powerful uh, spiritual principles are. Um, I've been married for 25 years um, with a wonderful wife. I've got two 17-year-old kids. Um, who are wonderful, but they're, it's been a very, COVID's been a very, very difficult time for us. And our family is going through tremendous transition. And at times it is so confusing and so difficult that it's hard to even know what is real, what isn't real, what is sane and what is insane. And we've had some very challenging engagements with one another, some fights and that kind of stuff. It's been really challenging, but it's all it's born out of confusion. Okay, ultimately. So, so the, the, the challenge of, of, of principles for me is how can I be stable even though I feel unstable? Okay, how, 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 can, how can I do that? All right, because the circumstance here at times can get so crazy that it's critically important for me to maintain presence be, 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 be there and, and, to, and, to, and to be stable, okay? It's really hard and, and it's, a, it's a challenge to do, but the, but the traditions have been a tremendous uh, um, map of, of providing guidance on how to do this. So um, what I'd like to do is just start walking through the, through, through the traditions and how I apply the principles in my life, okay? So the first tradition talks about our common welfare should come first, and um, personal recovery depends on OA unity. Well, if I look, and I experience this in, the, in these meetings, I experience in group conscience meetings, I experience this in every single meeting that I go to, and I recognize the power of this particular statement and the power of this particular principle. Well, guess what? That works really well with a family, you know, that our unity is critical in that what's going on here, although I need to take care of myself and I do that with program, it's not about me, you know, it's about where my family is going. 
And right now it's completely unclear. I have no idea where things are going right now. Each day it's something different. So the issue is I have to believe in unity. I have to believe in unity and be open to God's will in the future. And that and that is that leads into tradition two, which is for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. So in other words, things gets can get so I mean, I just have no idea where we're going. And what tradition two teaches me in this context with my family is recognizing that God is in control here. And the only way I'm going to be able to ascertain or even respond to God's will or even see God in the, in the, in the middle of a lot of this, this, the, the challenges that we're facing is through active engaging, engagement and discussion in a kind of group conscience situation with my family. Even, even though I may be hurting inside and anger and all this, I have to get out of myself and engage with them. Get to understand where they're at, what's going on with them, you know, and sponsorship, you know, all, all of the, the, the program elements that we have in here, meetings, all of it, show me that this is how to do this. This, this is how to engage in interpersonal relationships. Is, by, is through engagement and recognizing that God's love is what's in charge here. And that was, was so eloquently shared. My responsibility is just to carry the seeds and just to, to, and just to plant the seeds. But I need to do it in a stable manner. I need to do it in a way that's not threatening. And I need to do it in a way that's welcoming. Because ultimately, um, the, the thing about step 12 is because I am abstinent, because I've been given this incredible gift, this freedom that, uh, from the obsession with food, which I had for 50 some odd years, okay? I had this obsession with food. I was incarcerated for so long with this stuff and it almost lost my marriage, almost lost access to my children. I almost became unemployed, unemployable, all of that, that I have to be grateful that regardless of what's going on in my life, that I can, I can address it in, in, in using the, the, the tools and the principles of this program, that it, they give me an opportunity to do that, you know, that the opportunity itself is what should, brings joy and gratitude in my life, because I can do that today for that reason alone. And I can only maintain that disposition of gratitude and openness through active engagement and program. You all show me how to do that. And, and, and I can then do that with my wife and kids. And I can do that at work. And I can do that with my neighbors. You know, practicing it in all my affairs. Can I treat the person, you know, can I treat my, my, my wife with that same sense of, of wonder and joy that I work with a newcomer? You know, that's, that's the question that these principles ask. So tradition two gives me um, some type of manner of in, in, in a completely just unknowing situation. It gives me some ability to then try to find something out of it. Give me some, something to hold, hold on to of some form or other. And that's why you know, tradition three is so important because the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. How I apply that in my family is acceptance. I can't judge someone's desire to recover from compulsive eating. 
you know, just because they say that, that they're recovering from compulsive, I have to accept and love them for that. You know, so, so my kids come and tell me something, okay, that I may not understand or I may understand. I still have to accept them as they are the minute that they are and love them for that. Okay. And for years, I came into OA relapsing, um, uh, binging, you know, and all that. And you all accepted me and you all showed me that, that how important it is, how important the third tradition is. And that's what I got to do with my life. Um, tradition four, again, another incredibly important tra- uh, uh, tool and principle in all this. And it's, it says each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as, as a whole. So the key principle here is autonomy. You know, each individual has to be who they want to be. Okay. And that my responsibility is not to mess with that. Okay. And to allow it to happen as best I can and not to control it. And sometimes that's incredibly painful. And sometimes it's, it's really, really hard to, to discern how to allow that to happen and, and, and not to try to manipulate it or, or, or not. And I see that at play in the group conscience framework and how group consciences are run and how um, uh, the, 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 the group interactions work. So in the circumstance now, um, I have to recognize that I'm doing the best that I can. And that's and what I'm doing. The choices I'm making are my version of autonomy. And I have to believe that each of the people around me are doing exactly the same thing because that's what they're saying that they're doing. And I, and I have to believe that. And that's why this principle of autonomy is so incredibly important. And the fifth tradition talks about each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive eater who who still suffers. Um, This primary purpose, this whole notion of a primary purpose is so critical because it's, it's, it's a focusing, it's, it provides a focusing function. My life was so unmanageable because I can't, because I was a compulsive eater. I mean, Without the food and without program, I am a scatterbrain, okay? And and this particular tradition brings me a focus on how I need to look at my life. I have to be about weighing and measuring my food and following my food plan, period, okay? And if I do that, everything else falls into place, okay? I I can then focus on other things and in service in particular. Okay. In, in terms of a family situation and situation at work and everything, um, I have to recognize that all of this is an expression of God's love. That the primary purpose here is for me to carry the message, to carry this message of gratitude. Okay. And the miracle that I am and that I'm still alive. Okay. Despite all of my self-destructiveness and I'm still alive, that I can bring that joy into what I'm doing despite how difficult things are, you know. Um, the, the sixth tradition says an OA group never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, prestige, divert us from our primary purpose, okay? So what that, how I read that and how that's helpful to me is um, I need to 
not be overly um, supportive spiritually, emotionally, or physically um, because my ego will get too much in the way. And my, and my desire for self-gratification will, will, through control, okay, will create more conflict, will create difficulties within the circumstance. So this tradition tells me, focus on your primary purpose, you know, which is to be of love and not to try to distract from what is going on. And it's really hard because ultimately um, I, I'm a scatterbrain and I, and I want and, and I can get distracted pretty easily. And that's why I work this program on a daily basis. You know, I, I do inventory, all of that work, write, talk to my, um, my uh, sponsor every day. I, I, I work through these principles um, and how they're applying in my life every single day and run it by her and run it by the people I talk to on a daily basis to make sure that I am clear as to, in, 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 and then I may be clear that I'm unclear. You know, that, that, that I, I just need to keep maintaining fidelity to the connection of we to, to, because part of what it means to be accountable is just to be open and to be honest and to connect and, and, and to, to, see, to see how higher power is working in others' lives as well, if, I'm not, if I can't see it in mine, you know. Um, the seventh tradition says that we're self-supporting through our own contributions and how the principle works in my regular life is um, that everyone should seek to be self-supporting spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And that what I need to do as part of the autonomy is to foster and to promote that as best I can in the ways that people want to be able to do that. You know, um, the, the eighth tradition of Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Um, what this means is that all my relationships should remain a freely giving interaction, that I should not place an emotional cost on interacting with others. Okay, they may push it on me and I got no control over that, but I on my side of the fence need to make sure that I don't have any kind of string attached to what I am doing with someone. I need to be fundamentally secure in the fact that what I'm giving out is what I need to give out is what I want in my life. And then what happens after that, I have no control over. It's none of my business, you know, and, and that's what this tradition shows me is that that's, what I need to be about. I can't be trying to manipulate people and start pu pushing my, you know, uh, influencing is important, but really hammering my will through like, like we do in, in the disease, like I did for years and years and years and years and years with my eating and the destructiveness, the, the, um, the, uh, the conflict, the fighting, the, the, I mean, it was horrific. And, 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 and now by doing this, I can have a better life. And I am having a better life despite how difficult all this is. The ninth tradition says, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to, who, to those they serve, okay? So my interactions with others, okay? My family, my, um, 
work and I have to be open for things to be pliable and that things will be in flux and things will be changing all the time. Again, I see this in meetings. Meetings change. Things change all the time. And that and it changes through engagement and it changes in a very healthy manner. You know, show me this by active engagement and discussion with others. Okay. So it may appear to be very chaotic, okay, from the outside, but because the principles and the processes are what are most important and that the inputs into it are what kind of make things kind of move in a wobbly fashion, but they still move forward, okay? That's how it works. And, 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 and that is, and that gives people life. We, we are in the life-saving business and all of these principles and how we apply them in program not only save people's lives, but they give life, okay? And so um, this type of, of pliability, this openness is, is, is a really important thing for me because my propensity, particularly when I feel uncomfortable, is I want to control and I want to, and I want to get a desired result from it, okay? And, and, and that is the worst thing that can happen in, in what I'm going through right now. Uh, the 10th the tradition... Uh, it says, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Okay? So, in other words, I got to be focused on the matter at hand and not do things that draw attention to me. And that's what's critically important here. Uh, what happens for me when I particularly feel uncomfortable is I want the attention. I, I want something to, like I shared earlier, I, I get into a situation with discomfort. I want comfort, okay? And part of the way I want comfort is to get attention to myself through some type of controlling behavior. And so what this tradition teaches me, these principles teach me, is that if I do that, anything that we're going through that may be difficult will get 10 times more difficult because I'm making it about me and not dealing with the issue at hand. And if the issue at hand is confusing, okay, again, go back to tradition two, you know, engage and try to, to understand where the people are coming from, what's going on in their world, what's important to them, to then through that dialogue, determine through the group, through the kind of group conscience like dialogue to determine what the proper direction is, and, um, and what do I need to be doing to foster a safe and stable place to allow that direction to occur on its terms so that everyone's engaged in it, everyone has a, has a stake in it, and that, they, and that we can move forward. Um, the 11th tradition says our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films, television, and other public media of communication. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the principle of attraction rather than promotion, which is also one of the core things of all this. You know, if I'm about attraction, then I just need to take care of myself. And this is why the physical abstinence is so important because it's a, it's a clear manifestation of how this program works. And so um, 
that's how I got 12-stepped into this program. Someone came to me, um, and I was in the throes of my insanity. She, she came to me. She was glowing. Her eyes were alive. You know, her life was great. And um, she, she said that I could have that too, you know, if I wanted it. And she just held out her hand, and that was it. And, you know, the, the struggle with it is exactly like what Amy said in, in her um, discussion is we can put it out there, but more often than not, it's not accepted, you know. And so <clears throat> the challenge becomes I need to continue to have the faith to keep putting it out there, you know, and not get discouraged. That basically it's not about me, okay? This is about God's love and 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 patience um um because if it were about me uh i'd be when it gets to be about me it leads me back to conflict self-centeredness and ultimately to eating you know um and then the last principles anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities and again i mean that's patently clear that I need to be selfless. Like I started this discussion, I need to decrease so that others may increase. That's fundamentally what this principle is about, you know. So um, I want to kind of give a specific example of how all of this worked for me uh, with, with the pandemic. Uh, it is, and it still works for me. Um, so what happened was, right as the pandemic hit, I became unemployed. And I had this tremendous anxiety and fear because the market was cratering. Uh, jobs were just getting lost by the tens of thousands, millions each day. And I, I just had no idea where we were going to, probably going to have to sell our house. You know, all this stuff was happening. And my kids were going into um, remote learning from home. And my, my wife works in the financial services industry, so she was going through a lot of stuff with clients and all this stuff. So it was a very, very extreme time. And what you all showed me in here, okay, through, 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 because and, and, I could never have gotten into this on my own, which is my, my wife and two kids are going through a really, really rough time. I cannot in good conscience add to it. My responsibility is at least to keep my side of the street stable, okay? And even though I may feel this incredible discomfort, which I did, it, I, 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 I could not get self-centered with it. I had to really stick really, really, really close to you all, and I did just to, so they wouldn't run the risk of it because we were, we're all living in the same um, house. And so, uh, and I had to look for a job. I had to get a job. I had no idea how I was going to get a job. So, um, so what happened was, and, and this was the, 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 the core 12th principle, the 12th tradition was I leaned into my discomfort. Okay, recognizing that God was there, that God's hand is in here somewhere. I have no idea where it is. I have no idea how it's manifesting itself, but I do know it's here. 
because I'm in recovery. You all tell me he's here, okay? And you're right. So I had to lean into my discomfort until it became the new comfort. And, and, um, and I did not, well, put it this way, I did not act out in a way that would warrant my um, uh, making a 10-step amend. I, I genuinely was, was, because I worked so hard each day with you all um, to, 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 to just be present through the circumstance. And eventually what happened is I got a job. I got a job faster than I've ever gotten a job before in my life. Um, and, you know, I was able to be there for my kids and be there with my wife through this tremendously tumultuous time. And so by practicing these principles, we were just talking about delaying gratification and, um, and, you know, the group conscience, unity, all, all of these things that you were all showing me that I had to keep in mind in order to maintain this stability, to be able to carry the message to my family, all right? Um, what, what, I, what I learned was patience, okay? Because I had to allow the discomfort, the amount of time that it needed to cycle through my system. And it took weeks. I was in tremendous discomfort for weeks, and I was going to meetings every day, starting to sponsor every day. I was making phone calls every day. I was inventorying every day. I was really holding on to this program really, really tightly while I was going through that. So, and I learned that patience within myself is 10 times harder than patience with others. So, um, so I gained a great deal of patience in that. I gained prudence, okay? And the prudence, was because I acted in ways that were in fidelity to these spiritual principles. And therefore, even though I felt unstable, I was stable, okay, because of these principles. I also gained humility in that process because I was powerless over it. I had no idea, you know, what was going to happen with it, how long it was going to last or, or whatever. And then all of this together taught me and gave me this blessing of self-acceptance and, and um, which fostered character development with inside. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of this. Remember that last spiritual dilemma I talked to uh, sharing about how um, I am unbearable to me, okay? That gets resolved by practicing the principles of the program. I gain character by doing that. And, and it's in the character development that I gain self-acceptance. God wants me as I am, not who I think that I am. And I am my character. And the character is a recognition of my, my shortcomings. You know, it's just that the mess and the whole kind of picture. And that's the beauty of this program. As hard as things can get, okay, I know that if I take the character route, whatever happens, and I have no idea how long it's going to take, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, or even why it's going to happen, okay? But it will happen. Someone shared this with me one time. You will be contacted, okay? So, so that's why um, these principles are so incredibly important and why this step is so vital. Because I need to carry on the sanity 
that I've been given into my life, not knowing many, many times what sanity is in the circumstances that I'm in. And the principles give me an experience of sanity because they are inherently stable. They are stable. And they also give me an experience of belonging because by practicing principles, I gain compassion because I recognize how everyone is going through a rough time, you know, and everyone's doing the best that they can. And, and I, I have a, I have a clarity I have a primary purpose. I mean, all of it, it, it's, it's like I'm, I'm given, I'm given the rules of how to play three dimensional chess in the world. Okay. Given every, all the gifts that we have in here that I can handle anything and I've been going through some horrifically difficult things. And I tell my, my sponsor every day, I'm going through this without thinking of food, without thinking, without, I, I don't have the remotest. I mean, my kids have all the crack food in the house. I mean, you know, they're 17 year old boys. I'm not going to deprive them of, of the food. And it is like we shared earlier. I, I have a totally neutral to that, you know? So, um, uh, I'm going to end this on um, this note that uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am to you for what you have given me, okay? I need you more than you will ever need me. <laughs> Thank you for what not only you've given me, but that you continue to give me because fundamentally my family is still together and things are working out. It's a miracle and it's because of what you all do. Thank you for letting me share. Any questions? Anybody have any questions at all? I just want, I'll go ahead. Hi, thank yeah. you. I just wanted to say, in case anybody missed it, that in the chat is a link um, on our Google Drive, on the OA Rise Google Drive, to um, the traditions and all the principles um, that you had sent to us earlier. In case anybody missed it, that, that uh, one pager is there. Just click on the link and um, you'll get you'll get that, that uh, document. Thank you, Cassie. We will also attach both uh, Lewis and Amy's documents uh, on OA Rise when we post the meeting recording. So we'll be able to find it there too, <laughs> whenever we get it posted. So. We are. seven minutes to four. We could have a couple of questions if anyone has any. No. Can I just read one thing real quick just before we sure. end? Okay, give me, give me two seconds. I just want to 
share with you um, the uh, 10 step promises um, because they really have uh, been very meaningful to me in this process as well. And these are pages 84, 85 of the big book. Um, and this happens after we start practicing step 10. This, these are the fruits that we receive of practicing step 10 that get us into step 11. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Would you be willing to put your contact information in the chat, Lewis? Absolutely. Thank you. So, thank you to Jen, Amy, and Lewis for being our speakers today. It was so wonderful to have you with us, and we appreciate your sharing, you sharing your experience, strength, and hope while giving service to the OA program. Together we get better. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor the commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service Office. We will post the uh, seventh tradition contribution information one more time in the chat. Please give what you are able so that we can continue to keep OA Rise going. Lastly, OA Rise continues to look for members who are willing to give service to the meeting. We are always looking for speakers for, or speaker suggestions, as well as members who'd be interested in joining our committees and those who could volunteer once a month to help run the Zoom meeting. No previous Zoom experience is necessary, if you're willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts or myself. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat. No, we won't. Well, yeah, we can leave the chat open for a short period and you can unmute yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. Please join us for another wonderful share. Oh, I'm supposed to know what it is next week. A wonderful share of experience, strength and hope at our next speaker meeting on, on, information's on our <laughs> rise website because i didn't make a note of it it's on uh, april 3rd and it's the spiritual principles of oa in daily life mm -hmm. thank you audrey yep. oh.
After a moment of silence, we will close with the serenity prayer. I will speak it out loud, loud and I ran out of words today. And I invite those of you who wish to join me silently. Thank you, everyone. Please keep coming back. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, everyone. Mm.